Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8, moving right along our study through Leviticus. Uh, keep in mind, too, that these things that we study in the law are a shadow of the things to come. If, you, uh, if you're listening to this message for the first time, or maybe you started listening in chapter 7, chapter 6 of Leviticus, uh, go back to our introduction through the book of Leviticus. Or it's it, usually be, before we start a chapter. There's always like a little study of uh, like a, a, a summary or uh, just like an introduction, because we always have to keep in mind that these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come, and you know ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Remember, it was the Pharisees. Who were you know they were kind of tripping out when the Lord was teaching. They're like, why well, does he come to do away with the law? And Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Everything points to Jesus Christ. And so this is the old covenant. And so as new covenant believers in Jesus Christ, what happens? It's like you we abide in Christ. You have to make a cognizant choice to abide in Christ. Christ. And there's no abide in when Jesus Christ says abide in me, it's not abide in me, period. He says abide in me and I in you. It's a spiritual union. You see how beautiful the word of God is, how he teaches us these things. It's very important to grasp these things because what happens, Satan will tempt you to fulfill the things of the law and go back to the law. It's it's what's referred to as the Hebrew roots movement where a lot of Christians, Gentiles Christians today, what they do is they read the Old Testament and they say, okay, if I want to be righteous, then I got to do these things in the law. I got to, you know, start sacrificing. I got to start doing these things in accordance to the law. But we're not under the law. We're under grace. If you're a born again believer and you're abiding in Jesus Christ, you are under grace. You are not under the law because the law is not made for the righteous. That's not to say the law is over. Because the law has a purpose. It's a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring people to Jesus Christ. You hear me every now and then. I give an example where I say, you know, if I'm abiding in Christ, like I'll use me for example. Well, I won't use me for example. Say a guy. You know, there's a guy who's abiding in Christ. And, you know, he's under grace, under the new covenant. But then say, for example, he goes back. He doesn't reckon the old man dead. He goes back to the work of the flesh. He starts beating on his wife, starts cheating on his wife. He's a drug abuser. He starts doing his meth, his crack. He starts, you know, has like multiple girlfriends, all these things. It's like disgusting things. Well, he's not under grace anymore. He's under the law. And the law condemns. The law is what says, hey, get your heart right with the Lord Jesus Christ and what does the law do? It brings us to our knees in repentance. Lord willing, you know, I have to say, you know, sometimes people are, you know, they ignore the law. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do my crack. I'm going to go ahead and do this, all these crazy things. And then all of a sudden, it's like turning your back away on the Lord. It's going to be more ramp rampant in the last days. The great falling away in the last days. Where people will depart from the faith is what the Bible says. Meaning a person was once in Christ, they turn their back on Jesus, and then they go back, they go into the world. You know, spiritually speaking, 
a departure from the faith where they believe one day and then in the course of time they say, okay, I don't believe anymore. That's an indicator of the last days. I'm going to preface all of our studies in the law with these comments about grace and the law because it's very important because I don't want any of these listeners, any of you, to start to, in your heart, in your devotion to the Lord, which is sacred, it's so beautiful. And I don't want you to be tempted to go back into the law, not understanding the things of the new covenant, to have safety in Jesus Christ, to have the assurance of Jesus Christ, And as we understand these things from Leviticus 8, it's so incredibly beautiful because what we see here in the beginning of chapter 8, chapter 8, 9, and 10, it specifically applies to leadership. Namely, Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. And here we see the anointing of the priests. I could also say we, we, we see the acts, the acts. You say, what do you mean by you see acts? There's the book of acts. And so why are you calling Leviticus acts? Well, look at all the things that we've seen through Moses and his intimacy with the Lord. Not just what the Lord has been telling him from Leviticus 1 through 7. But don't forget what the Lord told him in Exodus 28 in the, you know, 28, 29, 30, 31. When, you know, the Lord had intimacy with Moses, Moses has intimacy with the Lord. And this whole time, you know, you start to see the fulfillment of what the Lord promised Moses, what the the blueprints that the Lord was giving Moses on the mountain, when it was just him and the Lord. And Moses comes down from the mountain and sees the golden calf, which is terrible. But despite the terribleness of the golden calf, despite that, the Lord is merciful because he gave grace and mercy to the people of Israel. And it was kind of hardcore, not to say that it was without chastisement because, you know, Moses kind of laid down the law. You know, no pun intended. But he just said, you know what? If you're with the Lord, you come stand with me. Like the ultimatum, a spiritual ultimatum. If you're with the Lord, you come stand with me. And some people came to him. He says, okay. The penalty was death. Some people died. You know, it's a sign of coming judgment. We've been so spoiled in this age of grace. 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. 2,000 some years in this age of grace and we've been spoiled. We've grown complacent. And we used to have a saying in the military, complacency kills. Don't grow complacent. You see, and so all of a sudden when I say this is like acts, because all these things that the Lord has told Moses, and then now, you know, even in Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all these things spoken to Moses, and now it's time for action. That's what I mean when I say acts. It's time for action. You see, it's the same thing with you. It's the same thing with me. We read the word of God. We apply the word of God in our lives. And then all of a sudden, where's the action? Where's the action? 
you know, it's the transition from disciple to messenger. Where you're a student of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, one day, the Lord's going to tap on your heart and say, you know what? I have a special task for you. It's very personal. Very, very personal. One body with many parts. Remember. That's when people start to enter the ministry. Whatever capacity. It's the Lord who calls people. And so look what happens here. The anointing of the priest. Chapter 8, 9, 10. It's hardcore for leadership. That's pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders. Very, very hardcore message. Especially for church leadership. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation of Israel, all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Let's pause here for a moment. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. You know, this is an Old Testament example of what Brother James writes to us. In James 1.22, when he says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. Don't be a hearer only. He says, be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. What does that look like? Is to say, when you're reading the Bible, is to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to apply these truths in my heart, in my life, in my mind. I'm going to apply your word, Lord, in, in this vessel. And you do that. It's an act of sacrifice unto him. And then what happens after that? Then you start to become a messenger. You start to tell people about the goodness of the Lord. You start to tell people about his love, his mercy, his grace. And I have to say, you tell them about his coming judgment as well. That's a little hardcore when you start talking about the Lord's coming judgment because it's not well received, even in the church. Some churches, some pastors, they say, hey, we don't study Revelation. I've had pastors tell me, you know what? I like to go through the Gospels. I'll do some of the epistles, but I don't like going through the uh, 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 Revelation. The prophecies in Daniel and, the, and Jeremiah, Isaiah. I don't like going through those prophecies of the last days. Because it's too condemning. It's too judgmental. You know, it's like, well, you know, maybe maybe you shouldn't be a pastor. And I don't say that to, jokingly. But it's a hardcore thing when the Lord calls you into teaching ministry. Because you're now a deliverer, not of your word, of his word. His word. That's what I, what I love so much about Moses here. Because all this time, do you remember our study in the very early chapters of the book of Exodus? And when the Lord spoke to Moses, when the Lord called him out, you know, Moses, a voice. Moses was all alone with the flock of a uh, 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 Jethro all alone he thought he was all alone and then all of a sudden he hears a voice he could have ignored the voice you know I don't want to imply blasphemy in saying that but as a free will creation he, he could have denied he, you know 
He's not a robot. The Lord didn't make us as robots. The Lord doesn't make you as a robot. And so, you know, the, uh, Moses heeded the voice of the Lord, even doubted the Lord. As much as I hate to say that, look at our own carnal inclinations. When the word says something, you look at your life and in your mind, you know, you pray to the Lord. It's like, Lord, this is impossible. Your word says this. My life looks like this. I can't believe it, Lord. Then he gives you from his word more assurance. And in the course of time, what happens? The Lord is the one who shows himself. And then, you know, it might be a year later. It might be 10 years later. You're kind of repenting. Like, Lord, forgive me. I was so faithless back then. Because the Lord has shown himself to you. The same way the Lord has shown himself to Moses. And, you know, when you have time with the Lord, intimacy with him, and it's year by year by year by year, all of a sudden it becomes part of your nature. Obedience to him, it becomes part of your nature because you're a new creation. You start to see an Old Testament example, not just of being a hearer and doer of the word, but you see an Old Testament example of Faith and works being together. Remember, faith without works is dead. What Brother James writes to us. But then at the same time, when James starts to write examples, he gives examples from uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Genesis and Abraham. And then you start to read those accounts in Genesis, and it's like, wait a second. It's all about obedience. When James would write, you know, by faith, Abraham did this. When he was describing faith and works. And then you go back and you read the account in Genesis. And it's like, wow, all that Abraham did was obedient to the Lord. A lot of times people say faith and works, it's about things to do. You know, like, oh, okay, the faith and works, so therefore I'm going to go mow my neighbor's grass. I'm going to go to the old lady's house and mow her grass. I'm going to go over here and feed the homeless. I'm going to go over here and, you know, do good things in the community. And I'm not speaking negatively about those things. It could be. But where is the Lord guiding? Where is the Lord guiding? It's not about being doing good in the community. That's a byproduct. I'm not saying that's bad, doing good in the community. But that's a byproduct of obedience to the Lord as the Lord guides. It's to have ears and eyes to see, ears to hear, and see where the Lord is guiding you, which requires intimacy with Him. Intimacy with Him in His Word. And then intimacy with him on your knees. Praying, seeking his face. I like to think of, you know, intimacy with the Lord like a phone call. Like you don't see him with your eyes, but you see him with your heart. You close your eyes. And I like to think of intimacy with the Lord like a phone call. You know, you read his his word and he speaks. And then you close your eyes and you pray and you speak. And then you open your eyes and you read and he speaks. And then you close your eyes and, and pray 
and you speak. It's like a beautiful conversation that you have with the Lord. Now, it doesn't have to be. I'm not saying like, you know, it has to be like this. It has to look like that. But that's that's how I like to think of prayer. In my own prayer life, what I do personally, it's like a phone call. It doesn't require, you know, dial-up, you know, a dialing, you know, dialing even. You just pray. And then you have that intimacy with Him. I tell you the truth, there's times when I pray and it's like, you know, I used to like not hear from the Lord, not have answers. But I tell you the truth, there's times I pray and the Lord wakes me up at night. And then I open up my Bible, like immediately I open up my Bible and right there it's like, boom, my answer right there in His Word. And I'm not trying to, I'm not, if it sounds like I'm being boastful, it's not, I don't I don't think there's any kind of specialty to that, like specialness. I'm of the biggest trash heap on the world. I'm the nastiest thing on the on the trash heap, and I don't say that. I, I say that with all humility to the Lord because it's all about Him, all about Jesus Christ in your life. I'm just trying to give you a, a real world example of intimacy with Him, and tell you how beautiful it is, and not just tell you that it's some pie in the sky. I'm telling you from experience, you can have intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord desires. And here in verse 4, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. So the vessel, speaking about Moses, is now a messenger. You see? He had ears to hear. And now God's word has been applied in his life. We've seen him through the chapters in Exodus and now Leviticus. You see his obedience to the Lord. His hearing of the Lord. And now the Lord is using him as a vessel. I mean, the Lord has used him as a vessel. But the Lord is continuing to use him as a vessel. Moses applied God's word in his life. And now the Lord is using him. It's the same blueprints that the Lord gives you and me. To apply the word in our lives. And then the Lord will use you. It's not the other way around. A lot of people flip it around. But if you flip it around, that's hypocrisy. Because you're going to tell people about the word of the Lord. You're going to tell people about Jesus Christ when you yourself have not applied that in your life. That's straight up hypocrisy. And the Bible says don't do that. Read uh, Romans 2. Paul says, you know what? It's, it's worse for you if, you if you tell people to do these things and you don't apply them in your lives. It's worse off for you pastor, if you happen to be a pastor listening to this message, elder, deacon, bishop, Bible teacher, to include females. You know, females can be deacons too. We'll get to that when we get to Romans. Youth leaders, 
If you tell people about the word of the Lord and how to apply the word in their lives, when you yourself are not applying the word of God in your life, do you know how dangerous that is? For you, O teacher, it's life-threatening. The Lord doesn't like that. If that's you, you need to repent. And then, you know, learn from your mistakes. Don't do that again. Don't be a hypocrite. You need to take the, you know, big two by fours out of your own eyes before you can take the speck out, out of another. The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. Old Testament and New Testament, He doesn't like hypocrisy. So what does that mean? Don't be a hypocrite. And learn from your mistakes. I'm not trying to say you're not going to make mistakes in life. You're going to, you know, I'm the first to admit. You're going to make mistakes in life. But learn from those mistakes. And so look what happens here. In verse 6, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. I love this. If you're a pastor, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a youth leader, elder, get this concept, lock this concept in your mind. And you know, you know, there's times when I say if you're a pastor, I put the leadership. But if you're not, still apply these things in your lives. Because the Lord might call you into ministry. The Lord might call you into teaching ministry by the things He sees you applying in your lives. And so Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. It's so beautiful because if you're a teacher of the Word of God, think of God's people, His flock. Think of them as, you know, these very people that need washing. People are going to come to you with all kinds of issues, things of the flesh, carnality. Sometimes it's going to be super uber disgusting. Sometimes it's going to be gross. Sometimes it's going to be a little speck. Sometimes it's going to be whatever. But you wash them with the Word of God. You wash them as gently as you possibly can. You wash them. You cleanse them. Whoever the Lord brings. If the Lord brings one, wash that person. If the Lord brings 5,000, wash those people. You know, you start to see these Bible teachers as New Covenant believers, as washers, also as butchers. And if you're hearing me say that, you're like, what in the world, a butcher? Just go back, read, you know, read, listen to our studies in Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It's going to take you a while, but you'll see what I mean when I talk about butchers. It's spiritual. It's not physical. (laughs) But for these teachers, see yourself as a washer. A butcher. And then also a fashion designer. <laughs> you say, what? A fashion designer? Where did that come from? Well, let's look at verse 7. And he put the tunic on him. So now what, what Moses starts to do is, you know, he's applying the things that the Lord told him about. He's applying these things in his life. He's for the benefit of another person and for a group of people. See, 
he, Moses is being obedient to God. But part of that or the benefactors of that, of course there's Moses. But the benefactors of that are Aaron and his sons and then also the congregation of Israel. They All these people, multitudes of people, are the benefactors of Moses' obedience to the Lord. Moses and the Lord, the Lord and Moses. That's why you hear me always say, you must love God first. Love people, but never love people more than God. Love God first. Cherish Him in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You must have the Lord Jesus Christ as number one in your life. And everything you do unto Him, it's for Him. Now, people might be benefactors in ministry, in whatever it is that the Lord calls you in. Of course, people are going to be the benefactors, multitudes of people. But between you and the Lord, it's all for Him. Not 90%, not 98%, 100% for the Lord. You see, that's what's so cool. A lot of times people flip it. Number one, they flip it. They, 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 they flip things the other way. You know, when, you know when I says the Lord, the, the, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy? A person does not apply the word in their life. And then they tell other people how to live their lives in accordance with the Bible. That's not good. That's hypocrisy. The Lord says don't do that. And I'm speaking to pastors and Bible teachers. Elders. You tell people about the Word of God, how to live their lives, and then you don't apply it. That's wrong number one. Wrong number two is when you love people more than God. You know what? In this world... You're going to have a huge church. If that's you, you're going to have a humongous church. A lot of people are going to come. Because people are going to like what you have to, to say. Because you know what you're saying? You're tickling their ears. You're whispering sweet nothings in their ear. Emphasis on nothings. You're telling them exactly what they want to hear. You're helping them feel good about themselves. And then at the same time, it's like, okay, you love people, which is in the Bible, to love people, except it's not doctrinally sound because you're supposed to love God first. If that's you, in that, if I'm describing you as a Bible teacher, possibly a pastor, possibly an elder, you must love God first. And then you love God first. You still love people. But you love God number one. You apply His word in your life. He's number one. And then all of a sudden, He'll give he'll tap on your heart and say, you know what? I want to use you. Because He sees your heart. Just like, he, just like Lydia, what we studied on Sunday. Several Sundays ago, we studied Cornelius. The Lord sees. It's very important to understand these things. Especially Bible teachers because, you know, you're like a washer. 
you're a butcher and you're also a fashion designer because what Moses is doing now, he's clothing the priests, the high priest and then the sons. And so look at verse 7. It says he put the tunic on him. You know, as new covenant believers, you know what our covering is? Jesus Christ. Our garment is Jesus Christ. When you hear me say pastors and Bible teachers are like fashion designers, that's what I mean. You help people put on Jesus Christ. You know, every person has a personal decision to make. But as a Bible teacher, you can help them. You know, it's like you're a little fashion designer, spiritually speaking. And then a person puts on Jesus Christ, you help them put on Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, if that person keeps the garment of Jesus Christ on, you as a Bible teacher, pastor or elder, you have to understand that this person who you've washed, who you've butchered, spiritually speaking, who you've put on this garment, is a future king or priest. Is a future king or priest. You must remember that. This person isn't an object. Isn't an object for you. Because we're living in a day and age where you have a lot of predator pastors, predator elders, predator, predator youth leaders. And I'm speaking about the sexual nature. If that's you, that's not good before the Lord. That's like straight up, you know, hellfire damnation. You need to repent, you need to step down, and you need to contact the authorities if that's you. And confess your sin before Jesus Christ, confess your sin before the Lord, and then confess your sin before man. And if you have to go to prison, you have to go to prison. Start your prison ministry. The Lord doesn't like these things. It's an abomination before Him. God's flock is hardcore business. That's what's so beautiful about these passages. You see this tender care that Moses has. You see that this tender care that Paul has in the New Testament, the tender care that Philip has, Peter. Where do you see predatory practices in the Bible? You don't, you won't find it. What about today when you look in the churches? Where do you see predatory practices? Everywhere. It's one of the signs of the last days, another sign. Pastors who are predators, pastors who are uh, wolves, pastors who are uh, hirelings. More commonplace in the last days. It's one of the signs. And so look what happens here in verse 7. You hear me say that, you know, Bible teachers, pastors, elders are like fashion designers. Look at what Moses is doing here with the priesthood. <clears throat> in verse 7. He put the tunic on him. So he's he's dressing uh, uh, Aaron. And in chapter th or verse 13, he starts with the... or, or uh, 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 Verse 13, he starts on the sons. But here's verse 7. He says, He girded him with the sash, 
clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Now, if, you, if you're wondering about these uh, items of clothing, go back to our study in, in Exodus 28. Exodus 29, you'll see these things. We studied it. What's so beautiful is that we're seeing the fulfillment. You know, a couple chapters back, we see the, towards the end of uh, Exodus, we see the fulfillment of the, the, the making of the articles of clothing. But then now we see the fulfillment of the actual clothing, actual clothing of Aaron and his sons. They're actually putting it on. And that's what's so beautiful. He girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. <clears throat> then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim on the breastplate. Remember the blueprints. In Exodus 28, before the golden calf. Here in verse eight, chapter 8 of Leviticus. Straight up Leviticus. We're seeing the fulfillment of the things that the Lord told Moses on the mountain. Moses comes down from the mountain and sees the golden calf. You know what's so cool about both the Lord and Moses? I mean, it's all cool about the Lord because it's the work of the Lord in the heart of Moses. Is that, you know, Moses came down from the mountain having heard these, having intimacy with the Lord, having heard all these beautiful things, the promises of his people, the goodness of God. He comes down from the mountain, sees the golden calf, and he says, okay, you know what? Because I see this, because I see the golden calf, therefore it was all a mistake. The past 40 days and 40 nights, it was all a mistake. You know, I shudder at the thought to even utter those words. You see the faithfulness of Moses. And I tell you that as encouragement. Because there's people that you're going to have people in your life. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. You're going to have people in your life. Where you want, you have such strong desire for good things in their life. Beautiful things of the Lord for their lives. You have intimacy with the Lord. You come down from the mountain. And what are you going to see in these people's lives? Golden calves galore. You're going to see golden calves all over the place in these people's lives. People you love. Stay faithful unto the Lord. Don't lose heart. Be like Moses. Don't lose heart. You know, still be hardcore. You have to be hardcore. I mean, just look at what Moses. I mean, Moses went back to Aaron and said, "Aaron, you know how? You know what happened? Did you these people put a gun to your head? Did they force you to 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 fashion this golden calf? Why is it you brought such sin upon them?" Moses was hardcore. And then all of a sudden you see the correction, the people's hearts that were, they were convicted. And in their conviction, what did they seek? The Lord. They repented before the Lord. And then Moses goes up the mountain again. 
He comes down from the mountain again, and there's no more golden calf. And not just that, the people are waiting on Moses. The first time, they were like, oh, Moses is dead now. I don't know what happened to him. It's been 40 days, 40 nights. Okay, so let's make this golden calf. The second time, it's been 40 days, 40 nights, and they're waiting on Moses. And now their hearts are right with the Lord, and they're able to receive these things of the Lord. I say these things as encouragement to you. Because as much as you desire people to have intimacy with the Lord, you're not going to see that. And don't lose heart. Still make your stand. Still stand for righteousness. Make your stand for Jesus Christ. And don't lose heart. Because what's going to happen in the course of time? There's something about a strong stand for the Lordship of Jesus Christ that is... Attractive. It, it's being the salt. And that's what the Lord says. You are the salt of the earth. You say, what do you mean attractive? Well, when I watch TV, I, I snack a lot. But when I watch TV, I'll eat some chips. You know, and I'll eat some chips, which are, you know, probably way too much salt than I need. But, you know, to live is Christ that die is gain. You know, and I eat my chips. And then something happens. You know, I have my bag of chips. I'll eat like one, two, three, you know, my cheese puffs of the last days. And then all of a sudden, I start to get thirsty. I start to get thirsty. That's what I mean. When you are the salt. People around you, it's attractive. People themselves will start to get thirsty. It's supernatural. I can't explain the intricacies of what happens in a person's heart. But it's supernatural. It's what the Lord desires. How You know, it's part of how He uses you when you are the salt. But when you are not the salt, the Bible says it's it's good, you know, throw it out on the, on the ground because it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And that's what you see today in the, in the world today. Our cultures, our communities are being trampled underfoot by men. Another sign of the last days. And so, you know, being a fashion designer. Remember chapter 8, 9, 10. It's hardcore for leadership Bible teachers. Hardcore. And this clothing in verse 8. Then he put the breastplate on him. And he put the urim and the thumim on the, in, in the breastplate. And then he says in verse 9. And he put the turban on his head. Also the turban. Also on the turban, on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses, his obedience to Jesus Christ. His obedience. You see all these things? To see, there's so many things happening here. You know when you hear me say the intimacy that Moses has with the Lord? Supernaturally? You and me, we were invited to that intimacy, that intimate moment. You and me today are invited to that. We were invited to that. We have a first-hand account of what happened with Moses and his intimacy with the Lord. And you see everything that the Lord told him, the blueprints. 
We see everything being fulfilled. We see everything that the tabernacle constructed. Everything woven. The wood chopped. Everything was made. The, the, the mercy seat was made. Everything is done now. You and me today, we have a first-hand account of the intimacy of Moses that he had with the Lord. And then not only that, we start to see the fulfillment of these blueprints. And I tell you this as encouragement for your own intimacy with the Lord. You might not have fulfillment today. You might not have fulfillment in a year. You might have fulfillment in 20 years. Wait on the Lord. His timing is perfect. And so look what happens here in verse 10. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. Remember, set apart for the service of the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament, you see consecration. In the Old Old Testament, you see people, items, type tabernacle items. You know, things that are put into service for the Lord. In the New Testament, as New Covenant believers, you know what it is? It's you and it's me. For all who believe. Consecration unto the Lord. You know what that's also called? A saint. I don't care what the Pope says under Roman Catholic tradition. You know, there's this process for sainthood. A priest would say, okay, I nominate this person for to be a saint because of, and then they have to document everything, bring all these documents, present it to the Pope. It gets all presented to the Pope. The Pope has the, 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 the so-called authority to say, okay, I've reviewed this, so therefore this person is a saint. There's a big old ceremony, and boom, this person is a saint. That's not biblical. It is 100% unbiblical. Which means... Come out of her, my people. You read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, New Testament. And what do you see? It's like, wow, you believe in Jesus Christ? Okay, you're consecrated for the Lord. You're abiding in Jesus Christ? Okay, what does that mean? You're consecrated for the Lord. You're set apart for the Lord. You are a saint. In accordance with the authority of the word of God. I could care less what the Pope says. So verse 11, he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the labor and its base to consecrate them. That's what I mean when I say, you know, he consecrated people and he's consecrating items for temple worship. As new covenant believers, you know, your temple, your body, consecrated. Consecrated. Verse 12. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. You know, like in Hebrew tradition, in accordance with Torah, and also in accordance with, you know, the the, the Old Testament, more, you know, when I say Torah, that's more uh, Sadducee. But when I say the entirety of the Old Testament, it's more Pharisee. The acceptance of the prophets and minor prophets. This Old Testament anointing, it was, it's hardcore. It's like this big old pitcher of oil. And it's like a big pouring on of the head. It's like your whole face is covered. 
oil is like all over your body. It's not like a little, you know, a little dash of oil, a little drop of oil. It's like straight up a pouring. You know, if that's how it was in the Old Testament, you know, how much more as New Covenant believers with the Holy Spirit and the oil that He provides for your lamp. So let's look what happens here. In verse 13, Then Moses brought Aaron's sons. So, you know, the, from chapter 7, it was Moses, or Aaron, and now you have the sons. It says, Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them, or, you know, a headpiece, as the Lord commanded Moses. So you see, Moses' obedience to the Lord. And in verse 14, and he brought the bull for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some of the horns on the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement. It's a covering. To make atonement for it very important to understand this concept of a covering because that's what we have in Jesus Christ a covering super important to understand these things you know how like when we talked through when we studied through Leviticus 1 2 3 all these things these sacrifices do you see the depths of how hardcore things can be and we're new covenant believers you start to understand the depths of the holiness that the Lord desires inside of your life and inside of my life. Then you start to realize the depths of the fight. Now Satan wants to trick you. He wants, to, he wants you to be blind. He wants you to be deaf so you do not understand these things. And then you also start to understand why Satan wants, he doesn't mind baby Christians. Not to say that he likes them, but he doesn't mind baby Christians. He likes a church on milk. Because a church that doesn't understand sound doctrine, the depths of sound doctrine, the holiness of God and holiness in our lives, it's a greater threat for Satan. Because Christians will know how to fight. Christians will understand how to take up the shield, take up the sword. So he likes to muddy the waters. He likes to use these uh, hirelings who call themselves pastors. Hirelings who call themselves elders. But sound doctrine, we start to have a deeper understanding of these things. And so let's look at what happens here in verse 14. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some of the horns of the altar all around all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at its base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat 
that was on the entrails. The fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh with its offal, he burned with the fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. You know, from the blueprint stage to, you know, there's, there's nothing new for us. Because we've studied Exodus 28, 29, 30, 31. We see the construction of the tabernacle through the end of, <clears throat> through the end of Exodus. From Leviticus 1 to Leviticus 7, we've studied these things. About the sacrifice, the meaning of the sacrifices, which, which is why we fly through some of these verses. We flew right through them. And the, now what's happening with Israel the entire congregation now is seeing these things unfold. Remember, they didn't have intimacy. They weren't on the mountain with Moses. But now they're the benefactors. They're seeing these things unfold. What about you? What about me today? Right here, right now. We're, we're, uns, we're, we're you know, we've seen these things unfold. We Supernaturally, our study through the, the, the blueprints. Exodus 28, 29, 30. The, the, the intimacy that the Lord had with Moses. The Lord had us there. And now we're seeing the fulfillment. Now we're seeing, you know, Aaron is now wearing the items that the Lord told Moses about on the mountain in Exodus 28 and 29. But we're seeing the fulfillment of these things. You know what's so beautiful about that concept? Is that through it, we've also seen the obedience of Moses. You know, but should we really be surprised? And I don't mean to say, I mean, it's a beautiful concept to see the blueprints. To see the fulfillment, to see and understand the obedience of Moses. But if I can be frank, should we really be surprised? I mean, we can be have admiration. I mean, you can be surprised. I'm surprised, but should we be surprised? And I only say that to give an example of the world, to give an example of carnal Christians. Because in the Bible, you see examples of righteousness. You see examples of obedience. You see examples of hardcore obedience. And then you see the fulfillment in what God does with those things. That's what I mean when I say, should we really be surprised? Look at the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us in the entirety of the Word of God. Understanding the promises of the Lord, also known as the blueprints. Understanding the fulfillment of the Lord in His Word and in your lives. That's when it becomes more personal. Because when you apply these things in your life, you know, the Lord fulfills His promises. 
And sometimes it's Christians, carnal Christians, who will be mad at you. When all you're doing is being obedient, they'll be mad at you. They'll be surprised. Maybe not admire your obedience. Very few will admire your obedience. A minute few. But carnal Christians, the world will hate you. Carnal Christians won't like you. They might even hate you. But I'm speaking about the carnal Christians. So when you hear me say, should we really be surprised? When all we're seeing in Moses is obedience. And I'm not, I'm not trying to bring Moses down to... A, I have such utmost respect and admiration for him. But not to the point where I deify him. Because we read you know, Hebrews. And he was a servant in the household of the master. A servant. The same way you, the same way I am a servant. Moses is a fellow servant. And when you choose to be obedient to Jesus Christ and His Word, people will be surprised. They're not with you when, you know, in the blueprints phase, they're not with you on the mountain. If they had intimacy with the Lord, they would understand, you know, your stand. Maybe they would be standing with you had they intimacy with the Lord. You're saying, whoa, that is overly judgmental. How can you say that? That is so mean. I'm not trying to be mean, but I call it like I see it. Among my circle... You know, in my 20-some years of walking with the Lord, and I don't, I don't say, if I were to really think, it's like 20, 20, I can't say 20-some years, maybe like 23 years walking with the Lord. I was lukewarm. I was cold. I've been lukewarm. I've been hot. I've seen those phases. I've seen the fruit of those phases. And among the hot you see obedience among the hot. But the majority is cold. And then another majority is lukewarm. Very few are in the hot category. What I'm telling you today, be in the hot camp. On fire for the Lord. The cold will hate you. Though lukewarm, won't like you. They might even hate you. But who cares? I mean, it might hurt your feelings. But in the grand scheme of things, have compassion on them. Because they're cold or lukewarm. They should be with you. In the hot pot. But they're not. Have compassion. Pray for these people. Because these are the ones that can are more apt to the fulfillment of the great falling away of the last days. Have compassion on them. Even when they hate you. Even when they call you names. Even when they call you a legalist. 
when all you're doing is being obedient. I shouldn't say all you're doing. Because, you know, in the last days, even, you know, obedience is a radical thing. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody bowed down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed. They had made and had erected. The whole world just bows down and worships. Except three guys. And I don't want to say all they did was stand. But when you read the account, all they did was stand. But then you look inside their hearts. Why did they stand? Obedience. Obedience to God. You see? Even standing is a hardcore thing in the last days. Could cost you your life. Could cost you friends. It could cost you those in the cold pot. It could cost you those in the warm pot. But rejoice because you're in the hot pot. You're on fire for Jesus Christ. Have compassion on those without understanding. You know, remember our study in the book of Jude. It's like you're on a rescue mission to rescue people as through fire. And that's what the Holy Spirit put on Jude's heart. Because when you read the book of Jude, Jude says, you know what? I wanted to write about our, com- our common salvation. He was going to exhort the readers. Just write about the common salvation. I'm not saying just write about that. You know, he was going to write about that. And probably something beautiful and edifying. But then he says, he starts to write. He says, you know what? The Holy Spirit had his, uh, you know, something else in mind. You see, and then he starts writing about the rescue mission. Sound doctrine, rescuing people as through fire. So let's look at what happens here in verse. Eighteen, then he, he he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma. An offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Remember, as New Covenant believers, start thinking about your own life. Personally, you might have family, you might, you know, have, you know, whoever under your roof. But I'm speaking to you, an individual. Consider your life. A sweet aroma to the Lord. You know, if you're obedient. I shouldn't say it that way. I'll put it another way. Consider your life an aroma to the Lord. Whether it be sweet or foul, that's your choice. What is it that you desire to present to the Lord? What is it about your life that you desire entering the nostrils of our Lord? You have a choice to make. 
The same way I have a choice to make. We're in the same boat. I'm not saying that, you know, hey, you do this, you do this. We're on the same boat. This is for you and for me to apply it in our lives. Verse 22. <clears throat> and he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. This is You remember this from our study in Exodus 29. You know, this is all before the golden calf, Exodus 29. The golden calf happens in Exodus 32. And the blueprints that the Lord received. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot. So what do you have a picture of? The ear, the hand, and the foot. What does that equate to? Ears to hear, and hands to do, and feet to walk. And how beautiful are the feet of those that bring glad tidings. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, a shadow of the things to come. Verse 24. Then he brought Aaron's sons. And Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Then he took the fat of the, the, fat, of the fat tail all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat on the right thigh. And he put all these things in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. So you might be wondering, like, wow, we're flying through these things. But don't forget, we had deep study, Exodus 28, Exodus 29, Leviticus 1 through 7. We, we studied these things. What we're seeing in Leviticus 8 is the fulfillment. You're seeing it, the acts, the actions of Moses in, you know, the fulfillment. He's a partaker in the fulfillment. The same way you can be a partaker of the fulfillment. Say, what do you mean? Well, faith and works working together. Not being a hearer of the word only, but also being a doer of the word. It's the full counsel of the word of God. Look at all the... Uh, passage. You've already heard me make mention from Jude, from Brother James... From the book of Acts. Look at the names you've heard me mention. Paul, Peter. You see? Even Lydia. Cornelius. Gentiles. Or Cornelius was a Gentile. I don't know about Lydia. But that was our study on Sunday. So let's look what happens here. <clears throat> In verse 28. Then Moses took from their hands and burnt. Took from their took them from their hands and burned them on the altar and the burnt offering they were they they were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord remember it's all to the Lord Moses doesn't want to appeal to their feelings Moses isn't saying you know like you know hey I'm going to wash you I'm going to clothe you I'm going to do these things so that you can feel good about yourself I want to be a nice guy in your eyes, so I'm going to do these things for you. 
No, it's all in obedience and it's all for the Lord. Why? Because Moses loves the Lord. It's not to say that he hates Aaron and his sons. Of course he loves Aaron and his sons. He's his brother, his nephews. Of course he loves them. But it's to say, wait a second. You must love Jesus Christ more. You know, what about your family? You know, immediate family and, you know, I don't know what you call it. You know, there's the immediate family, but then, you know, like the extension from that. I don't know what you call that. But, you know, like cousins and stuff. Of course you love them. But never love them more than Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds hardcore. Uh, like, you know, like family, everybody who raises their kids, they're like, oh yeah, family, it's all about the family, it's all about the family. Except I advocate a different family. The family as promised to Abraham. You see, it's the family of Jesus Christ. The head of the family. As promised. Which will be fulfilled. And is being fulfilled. And is fulfilled already. You say, what do you mean? Are you abiding in Christ? You say, yeah. There you go. Fulfilled. Are you abiding in Christ? You say, no, I'm playing games. I'm lukewarm. I say, okay, get out of that pot. Get out of that lukewarm mixture that you've created. And get in this pot with me. The hot pot. And all who believe and abide in Christ. And who don't play games with Jesus Christ. And you can be the fulfillment. And when I say will be fulfilled. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Very soon. Is to say, you know what? All these things will be fulfilled. As promised to Abraham. It's very, very important to understand these things. The most important thing you could possibly understand is the Word of God in your life. I know people specialize in in the medical field and electronics and whatever, you know. Coding. I don't know. You know, all kinds of different things to specialize in and have deep understanding and knowledge in. But there's nothing more important to having these, this spiritual understanding that emanates from the Holy Word of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh. And so look what happens here in verse 29. <clears throat> and Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. This is from Exodus 29, where God God told Moses in the intimacy that he had 
beautiful, beautiful intimacy. You know, when you have intimacy with Jesus Christ, you know, it's for you. It's going to bless your socks off. But then what happens when you come down from the mountain? You know, other people can be the benefactor. And other people are often the benefactor. Some might hate you. But remember, the promises of our Lord where the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. That's how it's supposed to be. Some people will like your words. Some people will hate your words. Some people will like you. Some people will consider you a brother or sister. Others will consider you their enemy. That's how it's supposed to be. In accordance with the full counsel of the word of God. That's how it's supposed to be. In verse 32. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days. Until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. Notice the lowercase h here. At the end of verse 33, for seven days he, lowercase h, Moses. Moses being used as a vessel for consecration. Moses as a vessel, Moses as a servant for the purpose of consecration for Aaron and the priests. For seven days he, For seven days, Moses shall consecrate you. You know, I wonder if Aaron's sons, if they were getting bored after the fourth day. I don't know. If they're like, man, you know, fourth day, fifth day, man, what a drag. And I don't mean to imply heresy. But what I do want to say and exhort you in is to be patient. Never, ever forget that God's timing is perfect. He's perfect. Be patient. If you're a pastor or Bible teacher, you are a vessel of consecration. Not you might be. If you're a Bible teacher, a pastor, an elder, you're not a hypocrite, you're abiding in Christ, you're obedient to Jesus Christ, you're a vessel of consecration. If you are a hypocrite and you are not abiding in Jesus Christ, you are disobedient, you're a vessel of condemnation. Don't be that way. If the latter describes you, you need to step down. You need to be replaced by a godly man, a godly teacher, to include females, teaching other females. God doesn't play games. You know, 
In these last days, don't allow yourself to grow lax. Don't allow yourself to grow complacent. Which is another sign of the last days. A trick of our enemy. And so look what happens here in verse 34. As he noticed the, another lowercase h there. As he or as Moses. You see he's a vessel. And he's a servant. As he has done. You see the action of Moses or the acts of Moses. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do. You see? You see how loaded verse 34 is? The acts of Moses, it's by the command of the Lord. That's the beauty of obedience. That's the beauty of intimacy. Is that the Lord can use you. That's so hardcore. I don't have words for that. The creator of all things. The ones who can. The, the, the one who can melt mountains. Like wax. Mountains melt like wax before his throne. And he says, hey, I can use you. So when I say just obedience, it's not just, I mean, it's just obedience, but wow. I remember Moses as a servant, the same way you are. If you desire to be, if you desire to be, praise the Lord. Now, where's the action? Where's the acts? Not the stuff that you do. But where's the obedience? That's why you hear in our study through the book of Acts. You hear me say from time to time, you know, all these people who say, oh yeah, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like it did 2,000 years ago. Because today, 2,000 years later from the book of Acts, give or take a couple years, where do you see Obedience. And I don't mean obedience like, okay, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not a crackhead. I mean, where do you see the obedience that you see in the book of Acts? Where do you see the obedience that you see in the minor prophets, the major prophets, like Moses, what we're studying here, Exodus, Leviticus? Where do you see it? Where you do see it, you also see the working of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, God is the one who says, I never change. I never change, saith the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. One. And so look what happens here in verse 34, how loaded this is. Because it says, as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do. To make atonement for you. That's the purpose. For Aaron, for his sons, for all the congregation of Israel. It's for them to be right before the Lord. 
you see when I say this is a hardcore message for pastors, for Bible teachers, for elders, youth leaders? You might, in the carnal sense, kind of think negatively about the idea of obedience. Because you want a big church. You want a huge church. You want proof. You want to see with your eyes proof that God is doing something. God is at work. But you know what? If you yourself, as a Bible teacher or pastor or elder, if you yourself are a hypocrite, if you yourself are you know, not teaching sound doctrine, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, your church is growing, 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 growing. You know what that is? You're tickling people's ears. You're appeasing. You're appeasing and appealing. But where is the Lord? Where is His sound doctrine? You know, as we progress further and further and further in the last days, this apostasy, it's going to get more wild. It's wild already right now. Wild. It's crazy. But it's going to get even more tenfold, hundredfold in the last days. Because Satan knows his time is short. And so look what happens here. You know, he says to make atonement for you. That's the purpose of it all. People being right before the Lord. The same in the Old Testament, the same as new covenant believers. For people to be right before the Lord. That's what God desires. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Therefore, in verse 35, Therefore, you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord. Keep the charge of the Lord. This word for charge is to keep the office of the Lord, which translates as military terms, to be on guard, to serve as sentry. And to stand your post to keep this charge of the Lord. You know, in certain circles, do you know how dangerous it is if if you're on post, if you're posted as a sentry and you're on guard duty, militarily speaking, and you walk away from that post, you put your rifle down, you take your helmet off and you walk away and you go watch TV, read a comic book. You know how life-threatening that is? In certain circles. It's not good for you if you do that. In certain circles. It's very dangerous. Not just for you. But for those around you. The ones you're supposed to be protecting. He says this in verse 35. That you keep... The charge of the Lord, so that you may not die. You see, for pastors, for elders, for Bible teachers, you might in your mind, if that's you, you might have in your mind like, whoa, that's hardcore. You mean you're talking about death? You know, teaching the Bible isn't a job. 
it's not like, you know, you feel in your heart, oh, I want to, I want to do good for my community. So, you know, I'm going to just whisper sweet nothings of, you know, I'm going to look at my favorite Psalms. I'm going to look at my favorite Proverbs. I'm going to look at my favorite passages from the New Testament. And I'm going to teach these things. No, you go through the word and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you and through you. Being a teacher is not a job. It's a calling straight up. In James chapter 3 verse 1, Brother James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive stricter judgment. You know what that says in the King James Version? Greater condemnation. Not that, you know, there's any emphasis of, you know, I read from a whole different, a whole bunch of different translations, but I adhere mostly to the New King James Version. But every now and then I'll, I'll refer to other translations, skipping the message. I don't do the message. That's not, you know, that's inspired by man. I don't do NIV, you know, sometimes I do some, you know, ESV, very rarely. New King James, stick to the New King James. It's easy to understand. It aligns closely with the Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. But even among the all the translations of the Bible, you know, nothing is like, you know, it's Greek, uh, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It's, you have to kind of study both. You have to study these languages. They have Bible study tools where you can look and refer to these things. Modern translations, the new, like the latest copyright dates, you know, some Bibles are altering the Bible where it's like they change, they make God feminine. They change the he's into they's. They change the she's into they's where it's like, you know, this, it doesn't matter if you're boy or girl. We're, there's specific passages that reference uh, uh, male and female roles, male and female responsibilities. Modern translations, they deviate from that. Another sign of the last days. But Brother James says, let not many of you become teachers. Knowing that we will receive stricter judgment. And what do you see today? Everybody wants to be a teacher. Everybody wants to be a teacher. You see teenagers. Oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a youth teacher. So the church says, okay, be a youth teacher. You see females. Oh, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a Bible teacher. And it's okay. I can have a Bible study and teach men. Let's forget what, you know, what the Bible says about women teaching men. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. I'm a female, so I'm going to go ahead and teach men. Let's, let's, let's skip over that part where the Bible says don't do that. Everybody wants to be a teacher because everybody is wise in his or her own eyes. But the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers. It's, you first need to be a pupil. You first need to be a disciple. And then let the Lord use you how he wants to use you. So let's look what happens here. In the end of verse 35, so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. You see, Moses, you know, Moses, like he says, for so I have been commanded. It's like Moses saying, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. 
all these things that you see Moses saying and doing, we have a first-hand account, first-hand witness that the Lord told it to Moses. All these times from the early passage or early chapters of Exodus, you see Moses, he does like he doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He falls on his face before the Lord. In his early prayers, you know, sometimes he would come to the Lord and be, uh, Lord, you know, why did you do this? Like, Lord, you made a mistake. And then you see in his intimacy, he doesn't have that anymore because he's, he's learned to trust God more and more and more and more in the course of time. The exact same way you and me can learn to trust the Lord more and more and more and more every day of our lives. In verse 36, in closing... So Aaron and his sons did. You see? Now you see their acts too. Aaron and his sons did. Look at all the things the apostles wrote. You know, namely Peter and Paul. Look at the minor prophets, the major prophets, what they wrote. And then look at all those who heard their words and did. You see, and we're doing it today. You know, Paul's admonitions, Peter's admonitions. These admonitions that we see in the books of the law, but as new covenant believers, seeing the fulfillment of the law and having this greater illumination of the fulfillment and abiding in him. So you do. Or make the choice to do. And you know, this whole time you've heard me say things about, you know, you know, not being disobedient. And I know, I'm, I understand fully that, you know, I have like a hardcore approach on certain things. But we're all in the same boat. When you find yourself in a state of disobedience before the Lord, you know what you do? You repent. That's it. You repent. When you find yourself in this state of disobedience, you repent. And then you don't make the same mistake. You start repeating the same mistake, a habitual sin. You learn from your mistake. You turn from that sin. You acknowledge your sin before the Lord. You repent. And then you have a covering. Your heart is right before the Lord. That's how growth happens. Remember, Satan is the one who doesn't mind the baby Christians. Satan is the one that doesn't want you to grow. I'm telling you, grow in Christ. And that comes with repentance. People have this once saved, always saved concept. It's not biblical. Oh yeah, I went to the altar when I was 10 years old, so I'm good to go. Well, don't forget, in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. People will depart from the faith. What about their once saved, always saved? No, it doesn't hold water. Therefore, it's unbiblical. A departure away from the faith. That's how Satan gets people to depart from the faith. You're going to make mistakes. If you, you're human like I am. You're going to make mistakes. And when you make a mistake, repent. Lord, forgive me. Your word says this, my life did otherwise. 
Lord, forgive me. I acknowledge the sin and I repent before you. Help me in this area in my life. And then all of a sudden you don't make the mistake again. You've moved on. You go for, you know, you get the certificate to go from first grade to second grade, to third, to fourth, to fifth, to sixth. And you grow, you mature. Satan is the one who wants arrested development. That's what he desires. Don't let him have his way with you. Fight. And so, in closing, so Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Obedience of Moses, now it's contagious. You see, that's what's so beautiful about your obedience to the Lord. People around you are going to see it, witness it. And it's going to generate a thirst because you're the salt. And when they say, they come to you, hey, what is this? What, what, you know, what is it about you? What is it that in, that's in you? You tell them, Jesus Christ. You, gotta, you don't, don't pop your collar and be like, hey, that's because I'm awesome. No, that's carnality. That's what Satan wants. In humility, oh, let me tell you what this is. Scratch that. Let me tell you who this is. It's the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? And then all of a sudden the door opens because your witness was salt, which generated thirst. And then all of a sudden the door is open and then, you know, people receive Jesus Christ. You're being used as a vessel. A wise fisherman warrior. Just as we've talked through the book of Acts. So we're going to end our study here. We'll pick up next week in chapter 9, Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.